0: Well, hello again, and welcome back to another episode of The Runtime. I'm your host, Raphael Kennedy, and today I will be joined by Caleb Porzio to discuss, among other things, AlpineJS, which is a minimalist uh, front-end JavaScript framework. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So before we get started, do you want to introduce us to AlpineJS and maybe situate it alongside other uh, front-end frameworks people might be aware yeah. of? Um,
1: although you're probably more qualified to do this than me, but I I will try. Because you know, once you once you look at something too closely, you know, like if you like say a word that you've said a thousand times, but then all of a sudden it sounds weird, it's like that. Um, but Alpine, it's a front end JavaScript framework, but it's kind of unlike other JavaScript frameworks in that it it isn't meant to take over your entire front end. So it's not an SPA framework. Um, it's not in the family of frameworks like React View svelte it's more akin to jquery honestly but it it feels very much like one of these new frameworks with with um the declarativeness and reactivity and syntax and stuff like that it's closest to view a lot of the syntax is borrowed from view it, it was sort of my answer to javascript sprinkles you know to like building ba- more back-end heavy apps like in laravel or rails And just, you know, needing a framework for JavaScript sprinkles that wasn't jQuery because of, you know, a lot of the pain points of jQuery. I wanted a lot of the stuff that um, I was actually pretty into like most kind of like a full-time Vue developer for a while. And I wanted a lot of what Vue gave me, but I didn't want, you know, a full SPA front end. I didn't want to buy into like a virtual DOM and a build step and a bundler and all that stuff. I just wanted like the jQuery, pop in a CDN, get going um, and be productive. So yeah, and it's also it's like it's I guess it's for that, and it's also for like landing pages and stuff. You know, like it it pairs really well with lots of CMSs and st- static sites and stuff like that. So it's like it's kind of meant for people in those contexts, not as much people who are looking to have like, you know, um, I don't know, like a GraphQL backend and full JavaScript front end. It's not really that. It doesn't really fit that niche. So um, yeah, so that that's Alpine and trying to think if there's any other like, you know, elevator pitchy points. Um, but yeah, my goal from the get go was for it to be small and minimal and also directly in HTML. And that that's kind of a driving force. And so I, one of the words that I've used is like tailwind for JavaScript, sort of like the equivalent of tailwind being a bunch of utility things directly in your markup rather than in separate CSS files. It's sort of similar for JavaScript commingling behavior directly with your markup and not needing a separate file, for everything, although you could if you want. So that's Alpine.
0: That's a very good intro. Um, and I'll say, yeah. Um, for people familiar with Vue, it feels it feels very much like Vue. Um, and if you're somebody thorough listeners to this podcast will know that I um there's a soft spot in my heart for uh the web components uh theory. But Okay. <laughs> but I I love the idea of being able to use like the actual browser to to debug my JavaScript, gotcha, and nice. that's one of the things that's that's wonderful about about Alpine is that debugging it and seeing what what's happening is really transparent because it is using the the actual right it's HTML all real DOM, it's not all real HTML, a virtual DOM. Yeah, there's no yeah.
1: side thing going on. Yep.
0: Yeah, and it gives it gives a good um, sort of middle ground between something where you just have a static site and something where you need to, you know, create react app. Right. So totally. Yeah. So what were, so those are the things that I love about Alpine. Okay. What would you say when you were developing, it was like the single highest priority for you? Um,
1: highest priority maybe there are two really high priorities. The first one was that it was rugged. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I wanted something that you could use with other JavaScript frameworks, kind of like the promise of web components, but something that wouldn't like with Vue.js, you kind of feel like you're, you know, you're in Vue's world. And if you want to escape it, it's a little difficult. You have to kind of wrestle with that. I wanted something that you could inter, You could co-mingle frameworks if you wanted. Um, and so, yeah. So that that was the driving motivation because the the other project I work on, Laravel Livewire, is kind of a front end framework in itself. And I, but it it's like uh, it's kind of hard to describe, you know, quickly. But but the idea is. That using something like Vue.js for all the little JavaScript bits in your app with Livewire is pretty difficult because Vue is greedy in the same way that React is greedy in the same way that Svelte is greedy. They're they're greedy frameworks and they 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 if they don't require they draw you into like a full buy-in you know experience which is great when you want that whole full buy-in but if you were like me and you're you weren't using it for everything you're just trying to sprinkle it in um yeah so that, that was a big goal was I wanted something that didn't have a virtual dom that like if you flick an element it wouldn't all explode you know i wanted to be able i wanted some other framework to be able to like manipulate some Dom and alpine to be able to handle that um, so from the get-go there's been no virtual Dom it uses all its data is stored directly its data is stored directly on Dom elements everything's directly on Dom elements and it uses mutation observer um, and it has from the get-go it's a lot better now but um, to basically adapt to changes in the DOM, Alpine will just adapt. It'll go, oh, this thing changed. I'll adapt. I'll remove an event listener that I added or something like that. It's very um, flexible in that way. So yeah, probably the first thing that comes to mind is is I want it to be rugged, flexible kind of material. Yeah, and then the, s- the second motivating factor was I wanted it to be in HTML and not have a build step and just simple. You know, simple to use, simple to install. Uh, And that is the experience to use Alpine is literally paste in a CDN link, you know, in your head tag and you're using Alpine and then that's it. You don't need a bundle at all. And you can add like one attribute to an HTML element, X data, and then get up and running with state. Like you've just created a component with one HTML element. It's all right there. Um, So, yeah. So those were the two motivating factors. I didn't want to have like, you know, this really, you know, discrete concept of a component where I have like all of my normal files, my backend, like front end, fi- you know, HTML files or PHP files, and then their class, their components and all that. And then also all my view components that have to be organized and and whatnot. I just wanted it to be something lighter weight that you, is a companion.
0: Excellent. So were there trade-offs that you needed to achieve to allow this framework to be like rugged in that way? Like what was, what were you giving up in order to yeah. to make it? rugged so
1: giving up all the benefits of virtual dom is is one thing that i definitely can you say what what the benefits of a virtual dom are totally so actually this is a moving target for me because <laughs> i remember you know hearing about the virtual dom and it and my initial impression was when i was really into the view, it was like oh this is awesome and the pitch is like dom is slow So virtual DOM is fast. So you can do all the work in the virtual DOM and then only change the things that need to be changed in the actual DOM, which, you know, is kind of the gist of the virtual DOM. And, and, and it it just seemed like this, this objective good and that like normal DOM is actually bad. But then when I got into it, I realized that, well, that's not actually the case because the virtual DOM has to change the DOM just as much as changing the DOM yourself. So Something that you're hand rolling with jQuery or something isn't necessarily slower than some virtual DOM thing you're doing with Vue. In fact, it's almost always faster because you're, you're kind of making these individual manipulations to the DOM where Vue.js, when, you, when anything changes in a component, that whole component has to re-render and produce a virtual DOM that is then compared to the old DOM to then find the diff and patch and then patch the DOM. And that DOM patch is the actual work. That's the actual physical material work. So anyway, at, so I went from this like virtual Dom good, normal Dom bad to then I wrote Alpine. and was like all, you know, like the Alpine was so fast and, but for certain things. And so at mm-hmm. first I thought virtual Dom bad, virtual Dom is a waste. Uh, Richard Harris has, um, he has a, a whole write-up on like virtual Dom is, is needless work. He's the creator of Svelte. And so he did this whole write-up on like, this whole virtual DOM is better thing, it's totally flawed. And so that's the whole promise of Svelte is kind of, um, but then I found some hangups with the normal, with only using the normal DOM that illuminated the benefits of a virtual DOM. And one of those things is, oh, let me see if I can recall them. Cause I really like battled with um, comparing my, uh, comparing my um, performance to view three when I just released mm-hmm. Alpine three. So I just went to the benchmarks and I was having the hardest time catching up with Vue for a few specific manipulations. And it was like if you create a thousand rows in a table. So the creation is simple because both create, you know, a thousand rows at the end of the day. So that's, that's simple, but it was like deleting one row or yeah, like reordering them and deleting like one row from that whole set. Vue can do that really easily because it knows which one to delete virtually And then it can only delete that one. Where for me to know which one it has to delete, I have to crawl the DOM, which is super slow. So Mm -hmm. anyway, um, yeah, that's an advantage. Uh, Virtual DOM has the advantage of being able to optimize essentially. Um, And I found that this really comes into play in loops. So anything like V4, X4 in Alpine, that's the area where I've had to do some serious heavy optimization to get just on par with a virtual DOM. Like I'm still slower than a virtual DOM implementation. And I could keep pushing mm-hmm. the envelope and adding in these like ridiculous hacks, but then I'm increasing the bundle size of Alpine for like edge cases. And you don't even use Alpine to render like huge, massive amounts of data purely, you know, mostly Alpine is used to sprinkle into existing DOM. So um, that's kind of a winding trail, but that, yeah, that, that, those are the things that I, that's been my journey with virtual DOM. I, I've gone the full yin yang on it. I was like, great. And then I was bad. And now I'm like, I respect it. I get it. And Evan Yu is now kind of like getting fired up about, you know, people like Rich Harris dogging on the virtual dom. And so he's, he's <laughs> been putting out some stuff that's like, Hey, actually view is faster that it's all, what I've learned is that there is no objective good or bad. It is only better at certain manipulations and processes um Mm -hmm. so svelte will win in certain benchmarks and that's the flaw with benchmarks svelte will win sometimes Vue will win other times alpine will win other times Um, that's a flaw in benchmarks that is a flaw
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's another flaw someday when i have a lot of time i'm going to make a benchmark where the person writing the benchmark only gets three hours to learn the framework
1: okay interesting
0: because there are some some frameworks will be wildly performant if yeah. used exactly <laughs> <Right>. flawlessly <laughs> yep. or you know we'll have foot guns around things like you know iteration and you know yeah or certain ways that react is used you can it's pretty easy to accidentally re-render all mm. you know 500 elements in your table right. every time something changes if you don't do it quite right yep and so some of that um you go okay this this benchmark is useful if the author of the library, who understands it better than anyone else in the world, is is using right. it.
1: Yeah, that's definitely um, true. And I, I just saw like a YouTube video, Fire something, a really popular. I I didn't. They weren't even on my radar. But now that I've seen them, I'm seeing them everywhere. Fire something, mm-hmm. a YouTube channel, super popular, like JavaScripty YouTube channel. Heard of that at all? Okay, I didn't before no, like a well, week ago. But but they did a like. <laughs> top 10 javascript frameworks comparison and alpine was in it and when they did alpine you know i'm sitting there yelling at the screen like he he liked it and was like this is a good you know this is great for this and this but man like he did not use it the way you're supposed to use it (laughs) i'm like
0: yeah yeah don't ever watch somebody (laughs) else using your library (laughs) it's tough it's it's super tough like you're yeah. yeah
1: and one of the on that point the The benchmarks out there the current like javascript benchmark thing which hasn't updated for for new alpine i don't think but um but that's what i used and just automatically like alpine is in it but it's totally misrepresented in the sense where the benchmarks are all creating dom and manipulating created dom where if if i'm Mm -hmm. using alpine with a big table of data i've rendered that table in php and then Mm-hmm. And then I've sprinkled in Alpine to initialize, you know, after the fact. So it's like, it's just apples to oranges, you know, it's like, you can do a lot of that heavy DOM lifting with Alpine, but generally you wouldn't, you know, most of the Alpine use case is not, it's not, it has templating, but it's not meant to be the sole templating language for your SAS app. You know, I, mm-hmm. it, you're generally using like blade or
0: ERB or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think those are really good points. But but again, I did get that's... the
1: performance down pretty good with Alpine three. I made some big mistakes <laughs> again. Nobody cared because it's plenty fast for everything you use Alpine for. But once I started, I'm like, all right, I'm waging war on these benchmarks, and and you know, with a few optimizations, <laughs> I was able to get pretty close.
0: So, all right. So we're there. Um, you know, so I'm in, envisioning you starting out on this project. You're saying, I want mm. a. Um, a rugged framework, it's using actual HTML elements um, to, to do its computations, no virtual DOM. Um, what were When you were going through that process, was there anything that you hit that was, you know, a big hurdle or roadblock?
1: So this is funny. Uh, so when I embarked on this project, I wasn't like, you know, I'd been writing JavaScript for years and years, but I wasn't a JavaScript framework creator, you know? So everything in Alpine... I've just kind of grown along with it. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I started it, I was like, all right, well, let's just say given my current knowledge, like rather than thinking about, okay, how do you create a JavaScript framework? I thought about how do I achieve this API that I want? And just using my own brain. It's just like, all right, well, I should probably use like query selector to get all the X data attributes with just CSS and then get those, put them in a loop. And then and I was like, all right, well, how do I how do I go through each DOM element and check it for stuff? And I, I don't even remember if I even understood the concept of DOM crawling, you know, like walking a DOM tree. Um, But I quickly realized that that's what I have to do. Like my brain led me there pretty quickly. Like I have to walk a DOM tree to check it for stuff and then initialize those things. And so this is actually one difference between there's some other like smaller frameworks that use event delegation for a lot of their APIs. So like, If let's say that in Alpine, you can attach like at click or exon click to a, to a button element and execute some JavaScript. So to initialize, to take that syntax, that at click and turn it into actual code that attaches an event listener, the Alpine method is walking the DOM, checking every element for Alpine syntax. If it sees something like exon, it will then register the click listener on the element and continue on with its day where like uh, Phoenix Live View's front end, this is really cool, by the way. It just has, it's a trade-off, but uses event delegation. So it doesn't walk the DOM and attach itself to things. It's just listening for clicks on the root element. And any click it hears, it checks its element to see if it has syntax on it that it should use, you know? So it's a sort of like just-in-time way of registering syntax where with alpine i had needs that prevented me from doing something as simple as that and then of course there's things like x text that you actually have to just register as you walk so anyway walking the dom was something that i was like how do you walk a dom tree and i had found like there's actually a tree walker like thing in the browser it's like a you know an api mm-hmm. that you can use but you can't skip subtrees, or at least you couldn't at the time i think i've revisited and learned you can but I checked some performance and I checked that you can't like, basically I needed to be able to skip chunks of Dom. So you're walking along and yeah, and one of one chunk, you want to ignore it from Alpine entirely. And Tree Walker didn't allow mm. you to do that. So you had to like take a really big performance hit. Um, So writing a, a Dom Tree Walker was my first hurdle, which is funny because now I could write it, you know, it's like the back. I know it like the back of my hand. You can grab it online. It's it's like eight lines of code or something really stupid how how short it is but i remember yeah. taking basically a weekend and like writing it out on paper and it's just so recursive and weird that it it just i ended up writing some monstrosity and then just finding somebody else's implementation and that that was like an initial very low level hurdle for me how do i walk a dom
0: tree yeah yeah there's a lot of those things in javascript where you just you just go that problem isn't solved. Hmm. <laughs> like
1: Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of I'm trying to think of other things of that nature like like that problem isn't solved kind of things. And there's probably a lot um You ever but, need to
0: generate a PDF on the fly? Yeah, I no, <laughs> only in the back end. <laughs> so no. <laughs> um um all right. Um you'd mentioned That there were specific reasons that you couldn't do event delegation do you want to talk about what those are
1: yeah um so i mean the 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 glaringly obvious one is that i want to do templating so in in alpine there's a directive called x text where Mm -hmm. you can pass it you know a javascript variable and it will set the inner text of something to that and if you think there's no way that that's not event driven so there's no way to like handle that with event delegation Um, so I have to walk the DOM anyway, and while I'm walking, I might as well just register click listeners and not use event delegation for Mm -hmm. that. It just really doesn't you kind of remove the advantage of event delegation in that scenario. Um, although another advantage is you would make it yeah, because if if I leaned into event delegation, I would only be providing these advantages to a subset of Alpine directives. Anything that uses events, Mm -hmm. wire model, wire or not, I'm confusing my APIs, X model. exxon um, Click. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's probably a few more that I'm missing off the top of my head. But in Livewire, basically Alpine came out of Livewire, and I'd basically written like a front end framework in Livewire, and I used all that code for Alpine. And so a lot of the mm-hmm. same trade offs existed. And the reason I didn't do that, ah, fun one. Um, You can't. This is a why can't the the DOM do this? <laughs> Imagine a world where you could say window event listener. So for the click thing, event listener click, and then you're getting all the clicks. But if you want to mm-hmm. listen for other events, you have to explicitly listen for each of those events. So there's no way to say addEventListener wildcard, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you're using event delegation, you're limiting yourself to only known events that you want to listen for. Where in Alpine, like you can listen for custom events, you, sh- you know, mouse down, mouse up, touch start, like drag over like every if you're if i'm setting manual listeners for every single event that's possible and i'm still not covering custom events like it's just not possible so that that was the big constraint where phoenix live view has like lv click and lv mouse enter stuff like that so they're explicitly listening they have specific directives for specific events so they can do this but i really wanted wildcard listeners where you could just exon i mean at the time for livewire it was i wanted to be able to wire colon click or wire colon my custom event that gets fired from some random dom element you know three layers deep Um, that was the constraint
0: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it also has i mean it has the the advantage of keeping those handlers in the in the dom where you would like expect to look at them so if you're sort of Attached Stumbling. to the element itself, right? Yeah. Stumbling across it. It's but that it's limits your to...
1: flexibility. Like if you, you know, in Phoenix Live View, you could remove one of those elements and or you could, you know, add a new element and there's there doesn't have to be any mutation observer junk, nothing. And it'll just work, you know? Which is cool. I love the idea that like you're you're handling all the live view type stuff is at the, the root, and then whatever happens internally, it'll just determine at at the time it needs to determine it's like ask you know instead of telling and so with alpine and livewire it actually has like shifted the entire projects i mean i wouldn't be able to do any of the stuff i'm able to do in alpine without this but it was a seismic shift at the time when i made that decision because now you have to buy into walking the dom which is expensive detecting changes in the dom and rewalking but not not walking things twice and removing event listeners that were added Um, after, you know, things are removed using it with other frameworks like turbo links at the time, now turbo drive and, um, all sorts of stuff, you know, that it just complicates when you're walking the dom, you know?
0: So you've mentioned it several times. Do you want to, uh, give one sentence on what is Phoenix live view?
1: Sure. So, um, Phoenix live view is, this was, this was the pitch as I originally saw it. I saw, uh, like a blog post, about it it's and that kind of put it on the map I think for a lot of people so Phoenix is a back-end framework like uh, like rails um, so it's an elixir yeah exactly is that- so rails is to Ruby as Phoenix is to elixir so Phoenix live view is a framework for for Phoenix and so Phoenix has a backend Phoenix is a back-end framework that has a backend templating language ex templates or something like that I don't know the actual templating language but so you could have like a Phoenix template in the back end that takes you know dynamically generates html and this you know in a very traditional request to request type of way you see one thing on the page like if you were to create a, a thermostat or a counter or something in just pure phoenix the same way if you did it in pure rails or laravel you click a plus button and it'll refresh the whole page with a new number you know to increase that count And so this demo was a thermostat that you could, you know, increase or decrease the temperature and it was live on the page. So there was no reload going on. Clearly it was like totally dynamic, but there was zero JavaScript to write it. It was purely backend driven. Like there was literally like a Phoenix, like an elixir variable called like temperature and then a a method in a class that was like increase temperature to change that variable. And then when that variable changed because the template relies on it, it updated in the front end. And I was like, what in the world is this wizardry? I was just floored. And that sent me on a journey to create something similar for Laravel called LiveWire, um, which then sent me on a you know a year-long journey in its own way. And, and basically, yeah, about like eight or nine months, maybe 10 months into it, I realized that there's a need for a sub-framework for little JavaScript interactions that you don't want to do a full page load for. And rather than just building that into LiveWire, I thought I'll put it in a framework that other ecosystems can use and that's where Alpine was born. And now Live View uses Alpine, Live Wire uses Alpine, Live View uses Alpine—not officially, but a lot of the like community uses it. Is that a good explanation? Yeah. No. Wonderful. Cool.
0: <laughs> um. All right. So, do you want to talk? This is a question I often have about when I'm using a framework that um, it feels very similar to an existing one. So. Okay. I talked with Ryan Carniato about um, Solid, which feels very much like React, but has mm-hmm. some some edges. Are there things that you found with Alpine where somebody coming from Vue would be expecting it to work other than how it does? Yeah, there's
1: a few things. Um, let's see. So with with both of these projects, Livewire and Alpine, because they're inspired mm-hmm. by something else, I basically ended the the reference after day one you know so both of them is they're entirely driven on their own but with alpine like i can't shake the fact that i've seen all these really nice apis the same way like so x model is the convention of v model which is a convention of ng model from angular um so there's kind of a long you know lineage behind these these apis but but anyway um yeah so if you come from Vue and you're using alpine let's see I mean one difference would be if you're going to use so in view there's v if and that's the, the most common directive to toggle an element so if you have drop down or something and then a variable called show you have a button that changes the variable to false and then on the drop down div you would have v if show and sort of binding the state of it being shown um, to that so the in view there's v if and there's v show if physically removes the element from the page if you open dev tools and if turns to false that element's just poof it's gone if you use vshow it'll just add a display none and remove a display none in the dom because sometimes you want the element in place in view um like if you know you have css that depends on like sibling selectors or you know, there's lots of little cases where you may want that element to be on the page you just want it to be hidden so with alpine from the get-go i used X show. And didn't touch if at all. It's just because it's all in DOMs. very simple, just displaying on it or not. Um, and X4 didn't exist either. But people, that was one of the big demands pretty early on. And for myself included, was a way to loop elements and a way to toggle elements. And this was mm-hmm. one of the first kind of things I hit, which is like, oh, because of this paradigm shift, if I remove an element from the DOM, so if you just have an element like a div with if on it, and I... I decided to build that so I can hide it easily, but how do I reshow it? When I hide it, do I like save it in memory and clone it or keep it around or, you know, and there's probably logical ways that I could do this, but I thought that like the template tag exists for this purpose, storing DOM, you know, HTML, referencing, storing a reference to HTML that you can clone and then put other places. So anything templating related, like truly creating DOM chunks is wrapped in a template tag, which is xif and x4 are both put on a template tag. And then what the elements you want to be toggled go inside of the template tag. So that's a difference that if you're using Vue and you come to Alpine and you just add xif to something, you would be bewildered. You have to add it. You'd get a warning that says this needs to be on a template tag. Um, And so you put it. You end up duplicating
0: your, your elements in the page.
1: By having it on a non-template. Right. I don't even but, think it yeah, would work. It because I use the like document dot from create from fragment or whatever, you know. Um I'm pretty sure it does do that. Because I've, does I've this? done that.
0: I'm pretty sure at oh, least really? some version of it. Yeah. Oh
1: man. It must be an um, old version. I, f- I feel it, like
0: it, it may well be. This it, it was uh, okay. on a soup website I was debugging from a while back. But
1: it totally could be. I'm looking at the X directive right now and I don't see any warning for template tags. So you could be on to something. Yeah. Interesting. I think it would work. It's straight up just like a clone node. So Yeah. Done deal. All right. It works.
0: Psh, anyway, weird. this okay. this has been <laughs> so that's another episode of Bug <laughs> Report. With... <laughs> so interesting. Um
1: yeah, funny that like somebody coming from view would just add X if and then they'd be like, what the heck? And there wouldn't be an error. I swear yeah. there was an error at some point. It must be for X4. We must have been Yeah, there.
0: no. I, I think there I think there is.
1: Yeah. But. It uh yeah, who knows whatever. I don't even know if there is for X4. We're just a bunch of delinquent developers over here. Well, there you go.
0: <laughs> All right. Um I mean, it is it, it is documented and everything. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of those you know, the the closer the API looks to something that you're you're already familiar with the the less you're going to like refer back to the docs to see to yeah see the specifics exactly. of how you're supposed to, to use those things
1: we tried pretty hard from the beginning more so at the beginning we tried very hard to adhere strictly to view where it applied um, mm-hmm. but we offered more syntaxes like there's uh on click dot away or now it's dot outside so you could like you know, just helpful things that you need to hand roll yourself a lot of times. And something like view, that would be like a plugin or something where Alpine is kind of meant for convenience. So we built in some of those conveniences. I don't even, I don't know if view has this. I don't think it does, but this is super useful for Alpine. Any event listener, like at click or something, you can do dot window or dot document, and it'll attach that listener to the window or document um, and remove it from that when that element is removed. And I use that all the time it's extremely helpful to be able to like put your behavior wherever you want but register the listener on the route you know
0: were there were there things that you learned um building building alpine that were you know particularly valuable in your next project
1: Uh, i I guess you're still right still working on it (laughs) um But, I mean, the latest iteration is a complete rewrite. Uh, Alpine 3 is an entirely rewritten framework from Alpine 2. It works fundamentally different under the hood. Um, Yeah, I've learned a ton, like so much. It's crazy. Um, And Alpine 3 represents a lot of that learning process. Um,
0: Can you talk about some of the ways that it's different?
1: Sure, yeah. Here's here's the biggest one. Um, Alpine, the way that I approached reactivity in Alpine version Mm -hmm. 2... Um, so both of them use proxies to detect changes in a, in a chunk of data. Um, so for the listener, uh, a proxy is a way of basically wrapping up a JavaScript object and being able to hook into gets and sets on that object. So you can pass around this wrapper and then the wrapper has like extra magic, it's a decorator. Um, but the actual underlying object is actually physically manipulated if you let it be, you know, it's fantastic. It's like a great, it's awesome. So crazy,
0: ridiculously powerful. Oh, it's um, a hugely, hugely useful API.
1: Yeah, it's unbelievable. So from the get-go, that was also, you know, like like any framework that's around a while, like um, I don't think Vue could use proxies. Vue didn't use proxies for Vue
0: 2, I think. It, that, was, that was one of the big changes over to, to V3 is shifting from using like getters and setters. Right. To, you know, accessor functions on an object to proxies.
1: Exactly. Which this is kind of a stretch but it is sort of the same trade-off as using as attaching event handlers directly to elements versus using event delegation or like view 2 had those problems where because it had to manually add all the getters and setters if you like add a property to an object it doesn't have getters and setters rigged up so it's not reactive you have to kind of like initialize its reactivity where with the proxy you're listening at the outer layer you know for those things so anyway um yeah so like alpine used proxies from day one but my approach to reactivity was very just straightforward and primitive. It was, you know, I can detect a change with the proxy to a piece of data. And then if I detect a change, I re-render that element's subset of everything. I just re-walk that DOM tree under that element and re-initialize everything. So it had its advantages. Like the initialization step is the same as the update step step. Everything gets refreshed, like anytime something changes. So it had some big advantages you're like of preventing like state drift and stuff like that because it's very just like apply the same transformation to this thing every time we detect a change and that's it it's very dumb um not not dumb in the fact that it's like not good dumb in the fact that it's just not intelligent it's just like re- something changed rewalk the dom and reinitialize it um and i think like i think a lot of i mean i think like hotwire the rails community uses that for one of their frameworks then and i and i I get it like that's so it's a robust way of doing it but anyway the disadvantage there of course is if you have a huge massive dom tree that all depend on some bit of data and then like one little bit of that tree that depends on a bit of data changes that piece of data changes instead of only that element changing the entire tree is rewalked and rendered which is a performance hit at scale and whatever okay so the reactivity approach is like very primitive. Then I saw uh, Hyperactive. It's a reactivity library. It's like a kilobyte. So nice. Um, and Vue 3 is all like inspired by Hyperactive and Observable Membrane and a lot of these reactivity packages. So these APIs exist in Vue 3 now. Um, the Effect API, uh, it's called like, I think it's called computed or yeah, I think it's called computed in Hyperactive. But this idea where it's it's like inverting the whole reactivity paradigm where you have a callback called effect and okay you have two methods so there's one is called react and this is in i think vue 3's apis one is called reactive and the other one is called in the effect. composition api okay so yeah. it's funny i'm like intimately familiar with the internals of vue 3 but don't even like know how to use it anymore you know <laughs> but like i depend alpine 3 uses vue 3's reactivity engine for its reactivity um, so I like depend on these APIs and I know that I've like source dove every nook and cranny of that code base, but like, I couldn't use Vue threes composition API to save my life. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure. So, okay. So basically that, that shift, um, yeah, changed everything for me. This concept of like you declare um, some object is reactive and now you have this reactive live version of the thing. And then you have this effect, um, you know, function that you pass a callback and anything you do in that callback, it's intelligently listening for dependencies on reactive things. And if any of those reactive things change, it will rerun that callback. Um and so this this is like a was a seismic paradigm shift for me. It's subtle, but it it just changed everything. So it I rewrote Alpine as a as just for fun and like how would I rewrite it now knowing this? So now when I'm crawling the DOM tree initially, if there's something like x text something simple i encounter x text and i go to set that ver- that javascript variable on as the inner html or something of that element that's wrapped in in that effect callback so now i don't actually have to do any extra work to make it reactive like i don't have to recrawl a dom tree and detect a change literally it's just done for me it's like when that data changes that text will update automatically and it is so powerful (laughs) and there's gotchas with it of course there's big huge things I ran into and had to get around but but that that's like probably the biggest way that I changed as a programmer was seeing that API and being like oh my gosh this concept of like declarative reactivity in this way is just so powerful
0: um I think I I derailed from the (laughs) the bigger the bigger question about um things you learned building building this do you have other other thoughts
1: Yeah. Things I learned. Um, I mean, I've, I've became much more of a functional JavaScript developer. The first Alpine was very, before you
0: were a dysfunctional JavaScript developer.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So dysfunctional. Um, a lot of classes and objects, like there's like a component object and, you know, it's very object oriented, Mm -hmm. um, where current Alpine has no classes at all. It's all functional. And so that, that was a big shift in the way that I write code, um, -hmm. really taking advantage of JavaScript's closures and scoping and everything is like allows for so many amazing APIs, similar to the effect API, where you have these callbacks that are so much more than callbacks because they're scope aware and they can, you can replace like Mm -hmm. a conditional with a callback that you're always calling, but internally knows whether to execute the past callback or not. You know what I mean? It's just Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of those functional patterns. um, But I learned a ton about like every, Web API, you know, mutation observer, I've gone like to down to the depths on intersection observer. Uh, what else? Like every, basically every proxies, um, all those kind of things that map sets, weak maps, weak sets, all the sort of next level, deeper web APIs that I've had to become pretty intimately familiar with and understand what things are slow and what things are fast and how to use things well and what's supported where, um. Yeah, I went from like zero to a hundred on all this stuff, you know? <laughs> I really didn't have any idea about how any of this stuff worked before.
0: If you got to to go back in a time machine and tell yourself, like, look up one thing <laughs> before before you started, do you know what it would be?
1: It would be the reactive thing. It would be, look up that. I mean, it. I, I value the journey more than anything. So it's hard for me to answer that. But I would say, I mean, there. I guess- i don't know i i would challenge my earlier self to pay more attention to performance but even that like when you're just starting a project like i'm glad i focused on the api and didn't bog myself down with making the world's fastest framework because a lot of the like kind of toy frameworks that compete on performance have a lot of constraints um Usability constraints, and that's never been a driver for me. It's all about usability, um, mm-hmm. and then you try to make the performance as best as you can. But um, yeah, so I don't know if I could go back and tell myself something. It would, I would tell myself a lot of things, not even related to code. Um, but <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah, that's a that's a good point.
0: All right. Um. So I think that probably brings us towards the end of the episode. Um, one thing I I like to ask all my guests is, um, what are some other projects just out in the world that, that are exciting or interesting to you?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm all always following different web component frameworks, you know, um, like Mm -hmm. element and lit HTML. And, um, uh, that's, that's sort of something that I would love to really tackle with Alpine at some point. But but just in general, those are frameworks that interest me. Any library that has to do directly with with non-virtual DOM approaches like I'm dealing with, and there's not a ton of them, but if you dig, they're mm-hmm. out there. Um, so there's and there's a lot of creative solutions to DOM patching. So MorphDOM is a project that I've used for DOM patching and LiveWire. And I've written my own version that's not public um, that Alpine will have. But yeah, that's not even a full answer to the question. But a lot of the toy little JavaScript projects where people are pushing the envelope, on, and using new DOM and like web APIs are really cool to me. Oh, ES Build is Alpine three uses ES Build for everything, and I fell in love with it. It's like Webpack, but a million times faster. In my opinion, much more straightforward and simple to use. And Vite, I guess, sort of competes on a similar level with speed. But I'm sure ES Build crushes Vite for production build at least. Hmm. Um, but Vite is also a really
0: cool project. And okay. again, I'm going to say Vite is spelled V I T E. So. If yes. you just read it, it might be vite to you. <laughs> yes,
1: you would think but, it's vite, French for fast. Yeah. I think yes. that's what he. That's why I named it that. So um, Laravel is the project that I'm most interested in. <laughs> Always, you know, <laughs> um, and then my projects, and then all these other projects. So yeah.
0: All right. Um, so I'll include uh, links to a lot of the things mentioned there in the show notes. Um, before we get going. Do you have anything of yours that you'd like to promote?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, Alpine and LiveWire, if you're into Laravel, check out LiveWire. If you're into whatever else, check out Alpine for sure. (laughs) Um, My goal with all these things is to make them like almost obvious to use. So um, I think, you know, if you're thinking about this, trying this out is very simple. I think you could get started. um, There's a quick start on the page and you could basically understand most of Alpine, and how to use it in like probably five minutes, maybe 10 Tops. Um, you don't need anything but, you know, notepad. So yeah, so that's that's those are those things. But then paid stuff, I have like a VS Code course. Put a lot of sweat into making my editor setup as like clean and minimal and effective and as possible. And um, so I have like way too many opinions on how to be really fast in your editor and make it look really awesome and clean. And I made a um, enough people, you know, asked me about it and I made a course. It's called Make VS Code Awesome. So go to make you can, you can, there's a free screencast right on the page. So you can get the first free chapter with your email address and then you can buy the full ebook and screencasts, but, uh, but yeah, recommend that. So that's my stuff. All right. And how can people find you on the internet? Twitter. Twitter's the best way. Caleb Porzio is my Twitter handle. It's just my name. And, uh, that's the, it's the best way to follow me for sure.
0: Well, great. Thank you again for taking the time to join me um, and thank you for all of the time that you've put into AlpineJS. I'm really glad that it's around.
1: Yeah, thanks for the great questions, stimulating conversation and cool podcast. All right. Thank you.
0: Well, that wraps it up for this week on The Runtime. I remain your host, Raphael Kennedy. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and, if possible, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps to spread the word. If you have thoughts, feedback, or ideas of folks that I should interview for the show, please reach out either via email at raphael at runtimepodcast.com or on Twitter at podcast runtime. Thanks again for listening.